Wow. <laughs> that was dang good. Can I say that in church? <laughs> Kathy, we loved that version of Amazing Grace. Dana, that was awesome. Jake, love the leads. I've always wanted to be able to play the guitar, so there are times that I live vicariously through Jake Black when he's playing the guitar like that. Man, glad to see you here today. Uh, for those who are visiting with us for the first time, we're currently in a sermon series entitled No Regrets. And thus far, here's what we've learned. You and I can live life in such a way that we have no regrets. How? Make the most of opportunities today, and you'll have no regrets tomorrow. Life is absolutely filled with opportunities. And in many cases, God himself is the one who creates and brings these opportunities to us. He opens up opportunities for us to be blessed, and he opens up opportunities for us to be a blessing to others. If we miss out on these opportunities, we'll regret it. But if we seize these opportunities day by day, we'll have no regrets. So what does it take to make the most of opportunities? Five things. Number one, recognition. We talked about this last week. Making the most of opportunities requires recognition. We have to recognize when opportunity knocks. Why is that? Opportunities are often fleeting. They're here one day and gone the next. Therefore, we must recognize opportunities while they're still opportunities. Number two, courage. Making the most of opportunities requires courage. What is courage? It's the ability to face difficulty or danger without fear. Now, why is courage necessary? You ready? I'm going to give you a biblical principle. Every God-given opportunity will meet with resistance. Test, how many God-given opportunities will be met with resistance? All of them. Every one of them. Let me give an example of what I'm talking about. I want us to go back to the passage of Scripture we're using as the basis for our series, the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 6, 7, and 8. And we're going to read beginning with Judges chapter 7, verse 2. I remind you that at this point in our story, God has extended a great opportunity to a man named Gideon and 32,000 of his counterparts. They've been given the opportunity to accomplish something of great significance. Something that would be of value to a lot of people for a long time. They've been given the opportunity to partner with God as he delivered 
them from seven years of brutal treatment by a group of people called the Midianites. Look what happens. Chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors. Too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or, you see that word? That's a key word. Afraid. Whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. Now look at this. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. 22,000 men walked away from a God-given opportunity. Why? Fear. They were afraid. Fear cost them the opportunity of a lifetime. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of their enemies. They were afraid of the ensuing battle. They were afraid of what might happen to them. They knew that their enemy was going to offer resistance. So without even drawing a sword, they just walked away from the opportunity to make a real difference. Here's this lesson. Every God-given opportunity will be met with resistance. It, it's, it's, it's a principle that we see all throughout the Bible. And for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you're probably thinking of some stories like in Exodus, when God gave the Israelites the opportunity to walk free from Egyptian bondage. What happened next? The Pharaoh of Egypt rose up and said, Uh-uh-uh. Not without a fight. You may be thinking of the book of Joshua when, when God gave his people the opportunity to walk into a land and claim it for their own and settle it. What happened after they were given the opportunity? The inhabitants of that land said, oh no. They didn't just say, there were people living there. They didn't say, hey, do you want the title deed to my little thousand acres? Here it is. They said, oh no, not without a fight. The book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah gives us other examples of this. When, when the Israelites had been in captivity and, and God gave them the opportunity to go free and gave them the opportunity to go home and rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And what happened after the opportunity was given? Enemies arose and offered great resistance to this effort. Go to the New Testament, book of Acts. God gives the church the opportunity to evangelize the world. And what happened? Great resistance arose. Follow the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. And every time God gave him the opportunity to share the good news of Christ with the community, what happened? Resistance arose. Making the most of opportunities requires courage because every God-given opportunity will meet with resistance. In our case, our resistance will come from our common enemy, the devil. When opportunity knocks, and you listen to me, when opportunity knocks, the devil won't be far behind.
the devil wants us to miss out on God-given opportunities. He wants us to live lives filled with regret. So how does he get us to pass on these opportunities and, and miss out on them? He uses fear. As soon as we recognize an opportunity, the devil goes to work trying to create fear in us in the hopes that he can prevent us from seizing the opportunity. What kind of fear? The fear of rejection. The fear of failure. The fear of criticism. The fear of embarrassment. The fear of conflict. Just any kind of fear. You know why? Fear works. It may be the most effective weapon in the devil's arsenal against us. Fear is so powerful it can stop us before we ever start. Just like it stopped 22,000 men in this story. They never even went into battle to try this. You say, I don't know. I want you to think about this. Have you ever had the opportunity to share your faith with an unbelieving friend? I mean, you knew the time is right. You knew you really needed to speak up. Uh, have you ever been in a situation where even knowing that, you didn't do it? Why not? You say, well, I was afraid. Afraid of what? I was afraid they might reject me as their friend and think I was just some kind of religious nut. Have you ever been in a position, maybe at work or school, where you had a chance? You had the opportunity to really make a stand for God. You knew that wrong was wrong and right was right, and this was your opportunity to just make a stand that you valued God and you wanted to live in a way that pleased Him. And so, no matter what everybody else is doing, you're going to refuse right. You're going to do wrong. You're going to refuse wrong. You're going to do right. Excuse me. Did you? Or did you cave in? Did you go along with everybody else? Why did you do that? You say, well, I was afraid. Afraid of what? I was afraid that people might talk about me, laugh at me. You ever had a chance to serve? To really step up and do something? I mean, the opportunity just came to you. You looked at it for a moment and then you said, no, I'm not going to do that. Why not? Were you afraid? Were you afraid you would fail? Were you afraid you wouldn't measure up to somebody else? You see how fear works? The devil uses fear to encourage us to pass on God-given opportunities. Therefore, to make the most of them, we must have courage. And where does courage come from? Courage is the byproduct of faith. That's where it comes from. And you know what faith is? Faith is believing. Faith is be not faith not only believes God can do everything he promised. You know what faith does? 
Faith believes God will do everything he promised. There's a big difference. Faith not only believes God can, faith believes God will. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Chapter 7, verse number 9. I want you to read something with me. You ready? Let's set the stage here. You know, Gideon and his men have positioned themselves in close proximity to their enemy. Man, there's a battle coming. And on the eve of this battle, God says something to Gideon. I want you to look what he says. That night the Lord said, Get up, go down to the Midianite camp. Those were his enemies. For I have given you victory over them. Now, isn't that plain? What do you think God meant by that? I think he meant, I've given you victory over them. You're going to win. Look what he says. But, in verse number 10, If you are, what's that word? Afraid to attack. Go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So God says, if you're still afraid, creep down to this camp with your servant. Look what he did. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. That tells me that he's still afraid. Now here's what's inter- interesting to me. At this point... God has already told him at least three times, you're going to win, you're going to win big, you're going to win easily. He's told him that three times. But he's still afraid. Not only has he told him this three times, he's proven it to him twice. You see, one night, Gideon's all stressed out. And he said, God, I hear what you're saying to him. You're telling me you're going to take care of this. How can I know that you're telling me the truth? Isn't this a crazy thing? But now, listen, before we criticize him, we've done a lot of this ourselves. How can I know that you, the God of heaven, would be telling me the truth? He said, let me put you to the test. He said, I'm going to throw out a, a, a fleece, the hide of a sheep on the ground tonight. Now, if I wake up in the morning and that fleece is wet with dew and everything else is dry, I know that you are being honest with me. So he did it. He gets up the next morning. Enough water in the fleece that he could wring water out of it. Everything else was dry. God proved it. Well, what Gideon did? He said, well, God, uh, let me test you one more time. Same thing, fleece only. In the morning, let the fleece be bone dry and everything else be soaking with the dew. Happened just as you said. God has told him plainly, you're going to win. He's shown him plainly, you're going to win. Man's still afraid. You know why? He knows what God has promised. He's just refusing to believe what God has promised. Look what happened next. Verse number 12, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread. I just love his story. A loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. That's frightening, isn't it? Look at verse 14. His companion answered, 
Your dream can mean only one thing. Look at this. Now Gideon is in the bushes, in the dark. He's listening to this. And he hears this one guy say, Your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelites, victory over Midian and all its allies. One more time, God has told him, You're going to win. One more time, God has shown him, You're going to win. Now look what happened. Verse number 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Oh, you know what that tells me? He's getting it. I believe he got it this time. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up! Look at this. You see what he said? For the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. Gideon, you know, at last Gideon is not afraid. He is now courageous. What made the difference? He finally believed that God was going to keep his promise. He believed it. Gideon's courage was the byproduct of his newfound faith. Faith produces courage, and courage overcame fear. That's the way it works. To recognize an opportunity, we learned last week, we need to be listening to God. But to make the most of an opportunity, we've got to believe what God is saying to us. See, along with opportunities, God makes promises like, I'll be with you. Here's the opportunity. I'll be with you. Here's the opportunity. I'll help you. Here's the opportunity. I'll protect you. Here's the opportunity. I'll use you. Here's your opportunity. This is going to work. You're going to win. Faith believes that God keeps his promises. Faith believes that things are going to work out just as God promised. And knowing how our story ends should give us courage. This week I watched one of my favorite movies. It's an older movie uh, called Big Fish, which I guess stands to reason if you're a fisherman, you would, you would love that title, Big Fish. Big Fish was the story of a man's life named Edward Bloom. And it starts out, Edward and his two buddies, they're just children. They go into a swamp and they're looking for an old dilapidated house where a witch is supposed to live. Edward goes in finds the witch, brings her out to meet his buddies. She's got a patch over one of her eyes. The bo- and, and she's behind, the, eye, behind her eye, the patch, she has a glass eye. And the boys say, they ask her, can we look into your glass eye? She said, yeah. She lifts the patch, and one by one, as they look into that glass eye, they see how they're going to die. Now, as the story continues, you often find Edward Bloom facing incredible difficulty and danger. And just as fear would start to creep in, Edward would stop and go, Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not how I die. This is not how my story ends. 
And by knowing the end of his story, he found courage to face difficulty and adversity. Listen, guys, when God makes us a promise, we now know, we then know how this particular chapter of our story ends. And knowing how it ends, we should find the courage to overcome fear and make the most of opportunities. Some of you, you're just going to have to forgive me for using an illustration about some boys and a witch in a swamp. Because some of you may be thinking that. He watches what kind of movie? <laughs> so, making the most opportunities takes recognition. It takes courage. And number three, it takes preparation. Making the most of opportunities requires preparation. Someone once said, opportunity doesn't make appointments, so you have to be ready when it arrives. But what if we're not? What if opportunity knocks and you're not ready? There's a really, really good chance that you're going to miss that opportunity. I want to give you another example. Back to our story. I want to look at chapter 7, verse number 4. Now remember, 22,000 men have walked out on Gideon. He's down to 10,000. Battle is imminent. Look what God says to Gideon. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them. I think that's a significant word, test. I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors, now get this, you see what they're called? Warriors. He took his warriors down to the water. The Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. And one group put all those who cut water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. So God says, I've got to put this group to the test. Now, you understand that God already knew everything about these men he needed to know. Then why was he putting them to the test? There was something that Gideon needed to know. There was something Gideon needed to see. He needed to see how many of these men were ready for battle. How many of them think like a soldier? And so they go down to the water, 9,700 guys get down on their knees and just stick their face in the creek. Three hundred men got on their knee, kept their eyes on the horizon, scanning the hills, dipped their hand in the creek, brought their water to their mouth and lapped it out of their hand like a dog. 9,700 men were oblivious to the fact that there was an enemy nearby who was determined to kill them. 300 men were thinking like soldiers. 300 men were ready. You know what I think made the difference? All of these guys had been praying for an opportunity. They'd all been praying for it. It appears to me 9,700 of them must have never really believed the opportunity was coming and they never got themselves ready 
300 believe that one of these days that door is going to open. That opportunity is coming, so we best prepare ourselves. So I believe they were watching YouTube videos about self-defense and maybe joined a little group of you know, practicing combat out in the desert somewhere. But I'm going to tell you what, they were ready. Opportunities are coming for you this year. Are you ready? In 2015, you're going to be given the opportunity to be a blessing to someone. Are you ready? You know, when, when Lynn and I were first married, and this was right after I was saved, we lived where we lived, there was a little filling station right across the road from us. And it was a full-service station. Do any of you remember those? you know what those were? You pulled up to the tank. Somebody walked out. They filled up your car with gas. Well, in the afternoons, there was this little guy that worked there. He was a high school student. And I just loved this guy. And he loved me. And he loved to pick at me. And he loved to aggravate me. And I loved to aggravate him. And we, we got kind of a close relationship built. One day I took my car over and, and I told him, I need you to change my oil. So he had me drive my car up in the garage and he popped the hood and, and he's in there working and I'm standing there and he looks up at me and he goes, Well? I said, Well, what? He said, Are you not going to talk to me about being saved? I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack. My first thought was, I think this is an opportunity for me to share my faith. <laughs> I didn't have to pray about it. I didn't have to go call my preacher. I said, what are you thinking? Well, I felt this, this is it. So you know what I did? I went, okay. I told him how I was saved. I told him why I was saved. I told him the difference that it was making in my life. And I told him what Jesus had done for him so that he could be saved, what he would need to do, and assured him that, listen, as good as it's been for me, it's going to be every bit as good for you. You know how I was able to do that? I was ready. You know why I was ready? I had been praying that opportunity for a long, long time. I had been anticipating that opportunity for a long, long time. I'd already had that conversation with him in my mind dozens of times, so it just flowed naturally. I'll tell you what, this year at some point, you're going to have the same kind of opportunity. Someone you love dearly is going to look at you and go, talk to me about being saved. Are you ready? You say, well, no, but I've got Mark on speed dial. Hmm? I want you to think about that. In my situation, what if I'd have said, hold on just a minute. Hang, hang on, just hold what you got. I need to go call my preacher. And I'm going to see if I can set up a time for the two of you to talk. You know the danger in that? Opportunity is fleeting. 
The door was open then. How did I know the door would be open two or three days later when I could set an appointment with my pastor? Are you ready? You say, man, I'll tell you what, Ronnie, I think maybe you need to preach on that. You need to teach us how to do that. I'm going to tell you what, to say this. Conservatively speaking, since we've been in this building almost six years now, I've probably taught on that about 25 to 30 times. You need to get ready. There are going to be opportunities in 2015 for you to be blessed. Are you ready? When I was pastoring my first church, we had this couple in our church that Lynn and I were friends with, and we would often go up to their house and visit with them. Now, they lived at the end of a long gravel road. And as you drove in, there were these beautiful, lush, green fields on your left. Mountains to your right. You looked over those fields, mountains to the left. This beautiful valley in between. On the outskirts of those fields, there was a trout stream. Winding, twisting, turning, and it came right through their front yard. You, had to, you had to actually had to drive over a bridge over this trout stream to get to their house. And, when you know it, this was my favorite trout stream in all of South Carolina. You're saying, what was the name of it? That's between me and the Lord. Now, you cross over this bridge. They had this porch-like thing built over the creek with a grill and outdoor furnishings for entertaining. You pull up in the yard, there was no grass, no weed-eating, no lawnmower. It was all natural. It was hemlock, rhododendron, white pine. The house was very cabinish. Where their backyard ended, the National Forest began. And there was nothing between their back door and the Wigington Gap Overlook. Does anybody know where I'm talking about? I'm telling you, nothing but wilderness behind them. Happened to be the woods that I most often hiked in. And it was the section of National Forest that I hunted in. Lynn and I always looked at this place and said, this is paradise. One day, the lady says to us, we're going to sail. I wanted you to know first. You know how much you love the place we're going to sell. I said, how much you want? Well, get this. She said, we want $60,000. I would have guessed 600000 $60,000. Gets us our dream place. So we go home and I go, all right, Lynn, uh, we got any equity we could use toward a down payment here? She's like, uh, no, seeing as we live in a church-furnished home, I, we don't have any equity we could use here. I said, okay, uh, what we got in savings? She said, well, seeing as we live week to week, we have no savings. Okay, if we turned our retirements into cash, even if we had to take a big penalty here, this might be the opportunity of a lifetime for us. What if we got in retirement? She said, neither of us have retirement. 
I said, well, we're getting checking. She said, well, it's not really close to 60000 but it's pretty doggone close to $60. Opportunity knocked. While we were scrambling, trying to get ready, we heard the door close. An opportunity was gone. And somebody else bought the house and they still live in it today and I still hate their guts. <laughs> no names. Opportunity is coming this year for you to be blessed. Are you ready? Abraham Lincoln once said, I'll prepare. And someday, my opportunity will come. Opportunities are coming. So what do you and I do while we wait on opportunity? We get ourselves ready. We get ourselves ready spiritually. We get ourselves ready financially. We get ready knowing the opportunity is coming. Not might come. It's coming. So to make the most of opportunities, it takes recognition, it takes courage, and it takes preparation. Now there are two more things. And I'm not going to talk about them today. We'll talk about them next week. You say, well, what am I supposed to do in the meantime? Uh, While you wait, trust God and get ready. That's what we're going to do. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we're excited. We are excited. We feel a sense of anticipation building inside of us. Something's coming. Something's coming. There are opportunities on the way for us individually. There are opportunities on the way for our family. There are opportunities on the way for this church. How are you doing, Lord? All you're doing is you're preparing us. So when this opportunity arises, we recognize it for what it is. We have the courage not to walk away from it. And we are ready to seize the opportunity when it presents itself. Thank you for what you're doing. Help us to take your word to heart and do as you say. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. You are dismissed. Be blessed and be a blessing.